Well, it has been a good week. We've had the privilege of welcoming Chad into the office this week. Chad, it's great to, to have you at First Norman. Uh, we had a chance to do a reception that many of you had a chance to come to earlier this morning and to be in prayer for Chad and Tara and the girls as they continue to transition to Norman. Now, they're from not too far away from here. At least uh, Chad grew up a couple hours south of here and Tara in the Houston area. So they're used to Oklahoma, this kind of heat that's uh, upon us. But to be praying for them as they transition. And as Chad, as he gets to know us in worship, uh, he'll be leading in Life Song next week and back here on the 28th. Uh, as we look to July the 12th, when we move to our early and late service uh, times uh, on that day. This week, I also had the, the privilege to go to Falls Creek with our middle school kids and with Rich and had a great time with them. Now, I would say that I went as the uh, head cook and bottle washer, but my wife was actually went as the head cook. That made me the bottle washer all week. And let me tell you, there were lots of bottles to wash. Um, but as an old youth minister, I, I still love going to camp. Um, because we have cook's quarters downstairs, I don't have to sleep upstairs with the guys and help them get to sleep. And uh, so I enjoy getting away to camp. Um, had a, a really powerful experience that happened. I think it was the first day that, uh, that I was there. It was that morning I got in and on Tuesday morning and uh, was, was trying to help Gay get ready for lunch and was washing dishes left over from breakfast. And the youth came in and Rich was leading them after their uh, tabernacle time in the morning and they began to wash each other's feet. And I thought, wow, as an old youth minister, I wish I could be out there with the kids sharing and experiencing that with them. And with my hands elbow deep in soapy water, the Lord said to me, but you are washing their feet as you stand here and wash dishes. See, we are called to serve and to love each other. And sometimes people know about it and sometimes they don't. But we're called to wash feet and to love those around us. And I want to challenge and encourage you. What are some ways over this week that you can wash the feet of others? Turn with me to James chapter 2 as we continue our, our study through the book of James during this summer. I want to begin with a, a story, a Fred Craddock story. Many of you will be familiar with uh, Dr. Craddock's ministry and his preaching ministry in particular. He taught at uh, seminary here in, in Oklahoma for many years, pastored in, in Oklahoma and uh, tells the story of one of his first pastorates back in eastern Tennessee in the, in the World War II days, the, the, the mid-1940s. He said he pastored this little church outside of Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It was built, the, the church had been there 112 years. I imagine the, the little white church building had been there the majority of those years as well. Still lit by kerosene lamps. Beautifully decorated chimneys within the church that would keep the church warm during the winter time. Hand-hewn pews from the trees in the area. Then it was a spectacularly beautiful, old, historic church. A pump organ where one of the youth would pump the organ and one of the ladies would play as they would sing and worship God each Sunday. If you recall some of the history of this part of the country, 
There was an atomic energy boom during the war in that area. It was that area of our nation that, that was tasked where those researchers and folks came to develop the atomic energy uh, that, that uh, was used in World War II. People began to move into that area, living in RVs, in tents, in wagons, in trucks, and in trailers. Oak Ridge, the particular community that, that uh, the, the atomic research area was at, grew in 1942 from a community of 3,000 to, in 1945, 75,000. Now, Dr. Craddock's church was not in Oak Ridge. It was outside, again, in one of the rural areas. But he said kids began to pop up and families began to pop up everywhere in these makeshift communities. And as a young pastor, he went to his church and he said, you know, we need to launch a campaign We need to come up with some ways that we can invite these people to come to our church. So they began to talk about it one Sunday after church. Kind of quiet, reserved conversation until one of the leaders spoke up and said, well, preacher, you know, I don't know. I just don't think those folks would fit in here. You know, they're just construction people and they'll all be leaving soon anyway. Preacher said, well, you know, we ought to invite them. We ought to help them to feel home while they're, they're here in our community, in our area. Well, they couldn't come to a decision that week, and so they decided they would meet again after church the next Sunday. And sure enough, they had a little quorum, a little church conference after church. One of the leaders stood up and said, I move that in order to be a member of this church, you have to own property in our county. The second came very quickly. The motion passed. And a couple of the deacons took him aside and said, now remember, you're just the kid preacher here. And you don't have a vote anyway. Years later, Dr. Craddock took his wife back to this church. To, we're driving through the area. Let's go by and see this church. Years later, the interstate had come through. Of course, all the development had taken place. And he said, we've had a hard time finding our way back to this little church. But finally, he said, I found the gravel road. I knew where I was. They began to drive back to the church. He saw the building. He saw the trees around it. But he said something was different. There were cars, trucks motorcycles in the parking lot. The parking lot was full. And then he saw the sign that explained it all. Barbecue. All you can eat. So they went inside. They had electric lights. The pews had been pushed back against the walls. And the organ was tucked back in one of the corners. And there were all kinds of people sitting around eating barbecue, having a great time. Craddock leaned over to his wife. He said, it's a good thing this place isn't still a church. None of these people could be here. James puts it this way. My brethren... Do not hold faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ 
with an attitude of personal favoritism. In verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. This morning, we want to look at the wisdom of James as he points out to us this sin of partiality, this sin of favoritism that in the early church was beginning to to wear away, was beginning to, to have its impact in a negative way on this church in Jerusalem. You see, James has written to the believers. Believers, as the church was beginning to grow, as, as churches were beginning to spring up in different places, and apparently what was going on in at least one of these churches was that as, as people would come into the fellowship, as they would come into worship on Sundays, those who came in appropriately attired with their gold rings on and their fancy clothes were immediately escorted and welcomed and greeted and brought to the front of the worship area, given the best seats in the house. And those who would come in maybe a little disheveled, maybe smelled a little bit because they hadn't had a shower the night before or the week before. And while they weren't really told they couldn't come in, they they were said, you know what, you you can stand back over in the corner or, or you can sit over here on the floor. We've got a really nice spot for you on the floor over here. See, the rich were receiving preferential treatment because they were rich. And the poor were being set aside merely because they were poor. And to this, James says, this attitude, this practice, reveals the impure and the evil motives of your heart. So James offers some upside-down wisdom, if you'd allow me to pursue this, in in verse 5 and 6. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this, work, of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? It doesn't make sense, does it? That the poor of this world somehow somehow have a grasp and an understanding of faith that those of us, and let's be honest, those of us who are rich in the things of this world, in the education of this world, in the possessions of this world, don't always fully grasp. For you see, it is in poverty. And certainly poverty understood in a lot of different ways, but it is in poverty that we find our greatest faith and connection to the kingdom of God. In matters of faith, it appears that James is trying to help us understand that the poor have the advantage. The poor have the insight. The poor have much to teach and bring to our community. And certainly not 
all poor. We, we understand that. But, but for those that are poor, that are seeking God, that are coming into a place of worship, seeking God and seeking to worship and to, to be a part of community, they bring something with them, a, an experience of faith that we desperately need to connect with. So why are we tempted so to isolate ourselves from the poor? To say, you know, why don't you sit over here? Why are we so quick to deny our own poverty? Isn't poverty where faith is greatest? Can you relate to this? In your own personal faith journey, when has your faith been the greatest? When was your faith the most real? During times of wealth and abundance? Well, certainly we would all say, well, thank you, God, for this incredible blessing. Thank you for this, this job, for this raise. But wouldn't it be true to say that during our times of poverty, financial, resources, relationships, health, that our faith is the greatest? Again, I'll never forget that. Night we were in Dallas, Texas. We had just moved to Pottsboro, Texas to, to pastor there. We had gotten away on a pastor's retreat. The call came in about 8 o'clock that night that our daughter Jennifer had been in an accident. They were lifelighting her to Dallas. I can assure you that faith was great. Because you know what? That's all we had. She had suffered a puncture wound down low. Man, they didn't know if it had penetrated into her kidneys, into her, her, her um, central nervous system. They, they had no idea. The doctors in, in Denison didn't want anything to do with it, and so they put her on a helicopter. As we're sitting there in the waiting room waiting, one of the gentlemen next to us, we began to talk, and he said, would you mind if I prayed with you all? See, the, the reality of life is, is that when we are in our greatest experience of poverty, that our faith is at its greatest. And so why, as James is putting before us, why? Why do we give those who come into this world with the things of the world and the riches of this world, however that might be defined, and somehow they're elevated And I'm not saying that we should put the rich people back in the corner and the, the poor up front. We should treat everyone with a sense of respect and hospitality as they come into our place to worship and to seek God. You see, Jesus says this. In Luke 6, in the Beatitudes that are presented in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, Blessed are you who are poor. 
For yours is the kingdom of God. But then we look back at James chapter 2, verse 6. And he says to the church, but you have dishonored the poor man. Church, you have dishonored the poor by giving preferential treatment to the wealthy and to the rich. You remember Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats? He told the story of taking care of those who had, had great need. And you had a group that reached out and, and, and ministered and helped to meet the need of those that were poor and in need in that moment. And you had a group that did not reach out and minister and serve the poor and those in need in that moment. And remember what Jesus said? He said, to the extent that you did it, or that you did not do it, to the extent that you fed the hungry, that you gave drink to the thirsty, that you welcomed the stranger, that you clothed the naked, and you visited those in prison. To the extent that you did this, you did it unto me. And so I wonder how many times that Jesus has shown up and we've relegated him to the back corner or to the floor. You see, when we do it unto the least of these, we do it unto Jesus. When we neglect and when we set aside the least of these, we set aside Jesus. So could it be that the problem with, with our churches today is that we have set Jesus aside if we've even allowed Him in at all? For you see, when we honor the poor, we honor Jesus. And when we show partiality for the riches and the pursuits of this world, we push Jesus, we push the kingdom of God to the side or to the corner. And so James offers this solution, this upside-down piece of wisdom. He says we need to be people of humility. And I think he talks about this in chapter 1, in chapter 1 that we've been through the last few weeks, but in verses 9 and 10, he kind of introduces this topic. But I think he offers a solution first. He says, the brother of humble circumstances, in verse 9, the poor person, and whatever that would mean, the person who's just a little ways off the ground is the word picture that's being developed there. The person who's just a little ways off the ground is to glory in his high position in Christ Jesus. It's to glory in his high position of, of salvation, of mercy, of grace. And the rich man, because why? Because we certainly we, we welcome the rich and the poor and the normal folks, right? He says, and the rich is to glory in his humiliation. Well, what's, what's that mean? That means recognizing the blessing of riches that we receive. And that the riches of this world are very finite. And that the things that we should glory in is the reality of our own sinfulness and of our own brokenness. And that we too have been saved. We too have experienced the love of God. You see, it is in our humble circumstances, it is in our humiliation that we discover the richness 
in the depth of our faith. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says that when we are weak, He is strong in and through us. That His grace is sufficient for all our weaknesses. So therefore, let us glory, let us focus, let us lean upon our own brokenness. To the rich, James says, to glory in this. To put weight in this. Don't don't wallow in it. Don't, as Paul would say, go out and sin some more. But acknowledge your own humility, your own humiliation before God, your own imperfection, your own need, your own dependence upon Him. Because that is where faith is the greatest. And it is there that faith gives meaning to the riches that we do have. So we continue on in, in chapter 2. So what's the solution to this? What, what is, how are we to live this out? How are we to embrace the wealth that we have in whatever form that may be? James says this, to fulfill the royal law, the royal law which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Remember Jesus was confronted by the the Pharisees and was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And He said to love God with all of your heart and your mind and and your strength. But the second is this, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And one of the ways that we humble ourselves and we avoid this sin of partiality is that we fulfill this royal law. The royal law of loving others, of loving the poor, of loving the rich, as we love ourselves. Look at verses 12 and 13. He continues on and he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. The law of Christ. The law of love of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. The law that says, let let, let us help you to get back up so that you can experience a new life, a new life in Christ. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. For you see, mercy triumphs over judgment. And the early church, as James points out, and we and any church today is in danger when we place judgment, judgment over others. When we judge the poor, when we assume that because of the condition that they're in, that there's something seriously wrong, that we need to judge them for that. And what James would say to us is, no. These are folks that are showing up at our doors. We need to show mercy and grace and love. You see, upside down wisdom calls us to embrace what I want to call the glory, the weight, the emphasis, the focus of humility. 
And again, he's talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to believers. He's talking to churches. Listen to what Paul says as he develops this metaphor of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, which seem to be poorer, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Is is those who come in from the world that are beaten down, that are impoverished, when they come to a place like this, they're lifted up. They're esteemed. They're encouraged. They're loved. And on our less presentable members, they become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members, they don't have a need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Isn't this the same thing that James is saying? If you come into this place and you're barely off the ground as far as the eyes of the world, when you come into this place, you're to glory in in that elevation of what God has done for you. But if you come into this place filled with the pride of the world and everyone in the world and, and you have the riches and the fame of the world, when you come into this place, the focus is on your humiliation and brokenness, on your humility. So that why? So that we can meet as a body of Christ and love and nurture and minister to each other and also to those that come into this place. You see, the glory of humility is seen in hospitality. And the way we receive and welcome and treat each other. It's seen in our liberty, in our freedom that we have to serve and to love each other. The freedom that we have to forgive each other and to offer mercy because I no longer have to hold a grudge. I no longer have to hold anger towards you. But I can release that and find redemption, reconciliation, and mercy. The glory of of humility is seen in liberty. And again, liberty is not license. It's not license to do whatever you would want. Paul says, use your liberty to serve and to love one another. For you see, it's easy for historic churches to get comfortable and to not realize that they are practicing partiality. At First Baptist, I believe we do a good job of welcoming the poor into our church. We have significant ministries that impact and touch the lives of those in our community that need assistance, that need help. And as a result of that, on most Sundays, on every Sunday, we have those from our community that are poor, that are downcast, that are hopeless, that come and that worship with us and that find community among us. But we can do better. More of us. More of us can learn to reach out. More of us can get involved in those outreaches and ministries that we already do have. 
more of us can be creative as we look to the future and discover how God continues to lead us to impact this community and those who have needs. And not just for their benefit, but also so that we can discover the riches of the kingdom of God in new ways. In ways that are uniquely experienced by those in poverty. As they share their story. As they become part of our community. Again, let us not forget that poverty comes in many different forms. And that sometimes, sometimes poverty cannot be seen on the outside. But is only present on the inside. And for this reason, as a church, we must be hospitable to all who come, to welcome and to receive the stranger, the poor, the rich, the smart, the intellectual, the uneducated. We must live the law of liberty. We must practice love and generosity and mercy with all. And if we do, if we will commit to this, we will discover a unity of faith and a vibrancy that will bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ in ways that will be known and seen, not just in our community, but in our state and in our world. So, will you come with me on this journey as we welcome, as we love, as we minister to our neighbors, and yes, even the poor at FBC. Let's pray.